The FAFSA opens October 1st every year. Then in October, we work on this. Um, our goal is to get it done by your winter break of your senior year, because then you move into what we call in the higher ed world, the financial aid season. I get that it's overwhelming. It's, it's potentially scary. It is very expensive for every family, regardless of where they're going to school, it's expensive. And um, I, I want our members to know that they are not alone. Welcome to the Community Conversation Podcast presented by Community America Credit Union. We have a compelling and impactful story to tell, and our goal with these conversations will never be to sell you something. We would rather have an important discussion with our very talented employees, leaders, members, community partners, and experts from a variety of industries and causes to help educate and inform you. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast for some important disclosures. Welcome back to another episode of the Community Conversation presented by Community America Credit Union. I'm your host today again, Justin Rickliffs, partner of Community America Credit Union. And today we're excited uh, to dig into college and career planning and get into all things FAFSA. We're joined today by Carly Scholl, who leads the college planning efforts here at the Credit Union on behalf of the members here. And uh, we're looking forward to the conversation. So Carly, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, I've been at Community America for about four and a half years after coming from over 15 years in college admissions. That's awesome. So I, I guess at like its most basic level when, you know, your proverbial elevator speech, when, when you say college planning, what's the like jumping in point for the, the, the resources and the, uh, the efforts you lead here? Yes, I tell our members that I can help them with anything that has to do with formal education after high school. So I'm, while I'm very familiar with the high school curriculum, I really focus on any formal training after high school. So whether that is a community college, four-year institution, graduate school, professional school, and then all of those conversations have a financial aspect to it. And so our goal at the credit union is helping our members reach their education goals with the least amount of debt as possible. And that's that. what I do. That's awesome. Um, so the acronym FAFSA, I think probably most, especially folks who are raising kids, have raised kids, or are in the process of even thinking about kids, all that stuff. Um, how, what, what's, what is FAFSA like at its most basic level, basic level? Yes. So FAFSA is F-A-F-S-A. I have heard it called just about everything and um, both by people in education and out of education. And so like I'm telling you parents, if you're out there and you're not sure what to call it, don't worry about it. Just go for it and I'll know what you're talking about. But FAFSA stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And it is how students, regardless of you know what they're pursuing, how they access um, federal funding. And so that could be uh, grants like a Pell Grant that's a common one that people have heard of sometimes there are some you know scholarships tied to FAFSA but it's mostly the grants and then access to student loans both the student and the parent loan whether they are undergraduate or graduate that may be a little different there are also some states like Missouri so our footprint here at Community America is mostly Kansas and Missouri and um, the state of Missouri awards their state aid through the FAFSA as well. So it's how individuals get funds to pay for college. Yeah, that's great. I, I thought it'd be helpful to 
define that term before we say FAFSA 300 times yeah. <laughs> and be like, Wait, what is FAFSA? I've heard that. What is it? Um, so clearly kind of to set the stage for the dialogue, the, the decision on where to go post high school or post secondary education is a big one, maybe arguably one of the biggest a, an individual make. Um, and so as we're thinking about, again, parents with school age children and, and then specifically the children themselves, the juniors and seniors in high school, um, giving them resources and tools and tips to help navigate that time in their life. And so um, how can kind of to jump into some some of the philosophies and the, and the conversations that you share with members and their families, how can, how can one's family start planning for, for college? What does that practically start to look like? What's that process generally? Well, I encourage families to begin with a conversation and whether they have realized it or not, by the time families get to me, a lot of them have already had that conversation, but uh, maybe not explicitly defined what we call their family education philosophy. Um, so it, a very common example is multiple parents raising a child and those, you know, two parents, three parents, four parents, if you come from, you know, divorced families, they, uh, maybe had different college experiences themselves. And now they're raising a child coming at it from two very different experiences and maybe haven't communicated that together. And so, the best thing to do for families is to get everyone on the same page, and often that is by simply having a conversation. That can happen at any point. I do believe that the earlier you start and the earlier you have that conversation get everyone on the same page, the easier it will be for you and um, potentially the more money you can save because you've started early. But um, you really can like start at any point. That's what I love about education. It's never too late. And though while here in the Midwest, the, it may feel like high school students go right to college after graduating from high school, there's no law that says you, that's the only time you can go to college. And if you miss that window, well, you're out of luck. Um, so that's what I love about school is even if you don't think it's right, or maybe you want to go, but financially or emotionally, whatever, you have obligations that are preventing you from going right away. That doesn't mean you can't ever go. And so as soon as you make the decision to go, then thinking about, okay, who's going to be in a part of that conversation and how do we get everyone on the same page so that we want the same thing? That's great. And, and I'm sure there, and there obviously are lots of specific conditions in every family situation. But generally, if, if you're meeting with a family who might have a newborn to a fifth grader or, or, or kindergarten maybe and then kind of that middle school age and then maybe that high school age what are some of the big components of those conversations you know kind of thinking through like life stage right like mm -hmm. if, if that early let's start there like the early stage kind of you know newborn to school age what what are some of the main components of those conversations you're having with folks so I tell all of my families or even just students who are working with me individually that if higher education in some form is important to you, then academics have to be important. And they really can dictate your opportunities in terms of what types of schools you're looking at. Um, and then another huge piece that needs to be discussed early is the financial piece. Because um, even for families who are open to student loans and independent 
or excuse me, a dependent student, so, so someone who's under the age of 24, has to file the FAFSA in most cases with a parent, um, and then also has maximums placed on them in terms of how much they're allowed to borrow each year. So then, in my experience, the burden of the student loan actually falls on the parent. But if the parent is not in a position to borrow or co-sign for that student or doesn't really want to, like they don't, they don't see the need to do it, then that needs to be a part of the conversation from the beginning. And so stressing academics, I tell students like that's your job, regardless of your age, your job is to go to school and do the best that you can. And then the parents need to be honest with one another and with their student about how much can they finance each year? And then, you know, given the degree you're pursuing, two-year, four-year graduate, you know, you multiply that by the number of years. And that's how much you need to be prepared to be invested. If you can't, if you can't do that or aren't willing to do that much, then that will, similar to the academics, dictate the types of schools that your student can be considering. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. So as that child progresses in age and gets closer to that window of time when they have to make those decisions. Um, are there elements in kind of that middle school range where things start to either shift or um, kind of the, the conversation becomes a little more, I don't know, perhaps urgent in terms of its its imminence that it's it's on the way, it's on the horizon, it's, it's coming. Uh, how, how do those, you know, middle school age type conversations go? Well, I think that it's actually fairly simple at middle school and even freshman into sophomore year it's a, it's an easy conversation and that's why I love talking to families early because it isn't as urgent um, it definitely becomes urgent when it's a senior wanting to go to school right after graduating from high school because there are things that you need to do and process the, the you know the entire process if you're starting as a senior you're cramming that in but there are some things that we could have done as eighth grade, ninth grade, even 10th grade students that take the pressure off the senior year. Um, but as a younger student, what I focus on outside of ac academics are um, things like, you know, getting to know themselves, exploring their interests, helping them um, connect them with people who do jobs that they think are cool, um, like uh, getting in a habit of doing your homework because so much of success mm. in college is simply going to class. And so getting, creating those good habits, um, to the career interest pieces. And what's fun about the early age is we have just time to explore without necessarily being in the pressure situation. Yeah. So then when the pressure dials up, so then you, you, you have plenty, probably uh, lots of conversations with that junior, senior, parent group, grandparents, loved ones, supportive, who, whoever's in that child child's journey. When that pressure does become more real, how do you help? What are some specific ways, and let's just say seniors, for example, mm -hmm. or specifically, um, how do you start to talk about, like, when does the application open? What, what's the process? What do you do? Like, what's, what's that journey when that pressure does kind of um, when, when the season of life is like, no, here it is. Like yep. it's time. Yep. Yes. Uh, and that's where we are right now because I am meeting, uh, with folks for the first time at the beginning of what is their senior year. And, um, oh, in all honesty, Justin, I think it probably is overwhelming for them. Um, mm -hmm. but I remind them that, Hey, you are not in this alone. Like I am here 
from Community America, and my job is just to help you through this process. And so please reach out with any questions. It's a free service, and so I can, you know, that's all I am here to do is make sure that you get what you need to in terms of college admissions and financial aid. Um, but I, I do, I can see it in their faces. And so one of the things that I find helpful is mapping out what will your senior year look like? Okay, so it is beginning of the senior year. Here's what we're going to focus on for the next couple months. The FAFSA opens October 1st every year. So then in October, we work on this. Um, our goal is to get it done by your um, winter break of your senior year, because then you move into what we call in the higher ed world, the financial aid season. What will your spring look like? When do you have to have your decision made? So in addition to just talking about it all, I do lay out an actual calendar. And I think hearing, hearing that timeline helps them. But then it is a matter of reiterating over and over again that I am here to help you because I get that it's overwhelming. It's, it's potentially scary. It is very expensive for every family, regardless of where they're going to school. It's expensive. And um, I, I want our members to know that they are not alone in this process. Like, that is why I'm here. And I love what I do. So, like, please talk to me. That's awesome. <laughs> and practically, like, when you say that, does that mean, hey, I'm, I'm on page 14 and this one question has this thing I don't know the answer to? Like, is, is it that practical in terms of the resources and the skills? So, like, a family could be on a, an application and ask me for a specific question? Yes, I can help with that. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, what, as families are working through that, what are some questions that would maybe be helpful for them to know even before they sit down? Like, here's how you're going to work yourself through this process. Because it is, to your point, can be overwhelming, can be mm -hmm. scary, can be complex in some degrees. Like, how, how do you help coach them through even the mindset of, like, beginning? So as part of the meeting with me, I follow up with a plan that lays out specifically what they can do. And it's personalized depending on their situation. So for instance, you know, if I'm working with a student athlete, they may need to register with the NCAA eligibility center. If the student isn't pursuing athletics, then that doesn't need to be a part of their plan. But I do lay out specific tasks depending on their age, where they are in the process, um, what specific questions they came to me for. Um, and then I am available to actually file the FAFSA with families. And so I sit down every fall, I mean, throughout the year. So it opens in October, but you can file it, you know, throughout the year. Um, so whenever a family is filing that, I sit down with them and I can just be a cheer cheerleader, really. Yeah. I mean, it's something they can do on their own, but sometimes they just want that moral support sure. and um, making sure that, they do answer a couple of the questions that catch people up and answer those correctly. Yeah, that's great. You, you kind of led right into the, so what are some of those common things maybe folks miss or they fill out inaccurately or they don't understand the full context? So I'm sure there's some fairly common missed details or missed, you know, oversights on, on behalf of some families. What would some of those be? One of um, the things I think families go into the FAFSA not realizing um, or even go into the senior year and it's too late at that point is the FAFSA uses tax information from two years prior. So for an example, you know, it's the fall of 21. If your students are going to college next year after graduating from high school in the fall of 22, 
their FAFSA would be the 22-23 FAFSA, but it will use tax information from 2020. 2020's past us. There's there's nothing the family Thank can goodness. do now. <laughs> yes, yes, true. Right. Um, but it's it has already occurred, and yet that is what will dictate the student's freshman year FAFSA in in this situation. So that's important because what is happening in the student's sophomore spring and the fall of their junior year, that is the tax information that will affect a student's freshman year FAFSA if they're going to college right after high school. So I think that's important. And the earlier, I mean, ideally, you know that in the spring of your kid's sophomore year. So you know, okay, what happens this year is what's going to be affecting our FAFSA. For a lot of families who are fairly stable year to year in terms of family income, it's not that big of a deal. But if you're at home, if you um, have your your own business or obviously COVID, things are very different pre-2020, post-2020 for a lot of families. And so um, having that in mind, could and I have worked with a lot of families who are concerned because their finances do look different and, and they're not sure how, how that will factor into it. I can talk to them about that. Um, it is one of the exceptions in, for um, a family to file a, an appeal with an institution, but that can cause a lot of stress for a family where maybe a parent lost a job in the last year and a half. And so um, I can clear up some of those concerns. Another big one that, um, is, that causes me heartache because it, it is explained, but it's, some, it's confusing it can be confusing is the asset question. And it's as simple as like not including your retirement accounts in your asset answer. And for a family who does include those, you know, that can greatly inflate your family's expected contribution, which is the figure that the FAFSA is trying to identify. Um, and it says on the question, you know, it tells you on the question what to include and what not to include, but it's not necessarily like right there, like in red lights, don't include your retirement information. So I do like filing the FAFSA with people, if nothing else, to just make sure that they answer things correctly, because it will save you a lot of time and heartache, definitely headache, but potentially heartache if, it, if it's the reason you don't get to attend a choice school because you filed the FAFSA incorrectly. That's so helpful. That's very practical and helpful. How how about lots of every family's different. There are single family, single parent families, two parent families, blended families, families that are raised by multi multi generations. So how, who practically is the responsible party to initiate, sign for, file? Who, wh- what's that look like? Yes, that's a very important question, um, and I'm glad you asked it so that we can. Put it out there. Um, the currently, the student under the age of twenty four, unless they meet like seven or eight exceptions, um, would have to file with a parent. If it if it's not a biological parent, if they have formally been adopted, then you know their adopted parent. Um, but that is the one who has to file the FAFSA. There is a way to submit the FAFSA without a parent, but in those instances, those students are not considered for any um, like free money, so no grants, no subsidized loans. They would have access to their unsubsidized loan, but in my experience, a lot of those students in those situations are, are also the students who would qualify for some of that free aid. And so you really 
want your parent to file with you. Now, if you are in a, um, a, if you are the student of divorced parents, then right now it's the parent with whom you spend more than 50% of your time. That will be changing in a couple years and it will be more aligned with how the parents file taxes and who claims whom. Uh, we don't quite know what that question will look like on the FAFSA because the because the FAFSA is getting a major overhaul in the next two years. So students who are looking to go to college next fall will be caught up in this new FAFSA. What they file for their freshman, sophomore year will look different than what they file for subsequent years. But right now, if you're a parent um, and you share custody with your student, the parent who has them more than 50% of the time. If it is evenly split, like down to the hour, then it's the parent who spends more than 50%, like supports financially more than 50% of the students. Yeah, and probably back to your original jumping in point, it's all about a conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's about having the, the, the dialogue about, hey, here's what's going on, here's who's involved, here's how we move this forward and using you as a resource and that as a guide in that process for sure. Uh, Let's shift gears now towards, again, kind of this um, potentially overwhelming topic of how much college costs, how much post-secondary education, um, what that investment looks like, what that financial burden can can be. Um, What are some, maybe, you know, if you were to think about all of your collective experience in conversations with families, and students, what are some common misconceptions that you encounter that are fairly regular that bubble up from time to time? The number one I hear still after almost 20 years in the field is I make too much money. Hmm. So there, yes, there is a way to file the FAFSA and like price yourself out of the free money, but it is how you get considered for student loans. So many students need to borrow loans. The federal student loans have the best interest rates. Filing the FAFSA is how you get them. Also, whether you make too much money is determined really on the school's cost of attendance. So if you're considering a school that is, you know, in the $60,000, $70,000 per year, that your your family's financial situation, which is called the EFC or the expected family contribution, that looks very different um, at a sixty seventy thousand dollars school than maybe a twenty twenty five thousand dollars school. So yes, you may make too much money to receive aid at your public in state school, but maybe your students looking at a private school and you qualify for aid there, and you don't know that until you go through the process. Now, um, most schools have the FAFSA as part of their process anyway. So if you are being considered for institutional aid, they're going to want you to file the FAFSA. So I don't, people are filing the FAFSA. I still hear that they make too much money. And so they question, should I file it? I say, yes, file it because it's free. It's just the hour out of your, the day that you file it. Um, Another one, they don't necessarily realize they have to file every year. So doing that. Every year that you are considering aid, it is free. Don't ever pay for the FAFSA. Um, and then, you know, talking about loans, it's how you get access to student loans, but a lot of families need more money than just what their student is eligible to take, and so they look at private loans. The FAFSA is not how you get private loans. And so while I do recommend everyone file the FAFSA, if you need private loans, those are additional steps. 
we do not have a loan product here, but it is something that I spend a lot of time with members talking about so that they understand their options and um, make the best or make a choice knowing all the information rather than just taking the first loan that's offered to them. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how about things like, you know, back to those early, you know, newborn type conversations that you're having with families. Most, I'm assuming, have heard of 529s and things of, uh, th- well, specifically a 529 plan. Is that the only investment option for college? So it's not. The 529 plan is specifically for education. And so that's why it's the one you hear about tied to college. Um, there are other there are other ways for families to pay. And as a college planner, my expertise is in the higher education piece, but I do work closely with our financial planners, our wealth advisors here at Community America, who can help members with the investment piece and make sure they are maximizing their savings. They are familiar with all the different avenues outside of a 529 that someone could use to save for college. And it will be um, while a 529 may be the right choice for them, maybe there are other uh, options they need to maximize first. And um, so our planners can help with that. Um, we do have a home equity line of credit, and I, I I do not provide those, but my colleagues in the branches and contact center do that. And that is a product that I see members using to finance college outside of student loans or 529 or other savings. Mm. One note I will make about a 529 um, is, you know, I have had conversations with members who are concerned that they're going to save too much in a 529, but you are allowed to withdraw from a 529 up to the amount of a scholarship. And so, or you can transfer a beneficiary. So it is, um, in my experience, very few people are in a position to save that much money that they would be saving more than they need for college. And I say that because... You know, if your public in-state institution is around $25,000 per year, for four years, that's $100,000 for one student. So you have to save a lot of money to save more than you need for college. Um, And if you have more than one child, then, you know, you can transfer that beneficiary or you can always withdraw up to the scholarship that they receive. That's that's so helpful. Um, So early conversations are key, preparing for hopefully decades for this reality is also key. In the event that, um, I'm sure you have plenty of other ends of that spectrum where senior and mom, dad, some version of, of parent and or caretakers come in, what what can they expect if the timeline is condensed and the pressure's pretty high? Obviously, you're a wonderful guide in their journey, but if they don't have all of the benefit of time to make these decisions, what what are some key pieces that you help them focus on as they face that hard deadline. Okay. So if I, and this just happened this week, like met with a senior who is beginning her uh, last year in high school, hasn't really done any planning other than knows that she wants to go to school and her parents want her to go to school. So we talked about identifying the type of environment she wants um, and combined with her academics. So her her GPA, she has taken standardized tests. And so while tests are optional at a lot of institutions now because of um, the changes with COVID around testing, um, she does have test scores, so I can use those as part of the mix. And 
the answers that she gave me around the type of environment she wants or she pictures herself in, I can use that to filter a college list. That's kind of the starting point. And then she has to do some research, get on some campus visits if she can, um, look at the scholarships that are available, both um, automatic, so based on her academics, and then also what merit scholarships will she qualify for. Um, all, all along, the family is going to be identifying how much money they can spend out of, they have a 529, so how much have they saved per year? How much are the parents willing to borrow after the student borrows? Because that kind of establishes the ceiling on our cost. And then you combine that with what the student's telling me about what she wants and um, major, her academics. We use all of that together. I have tools and I can create a college list then she studies it, researches as much as she can, and then you apply. I recommend applying to at least three schools, a school that's a match, a school that's a dream school, and it may be a dream school academically or financially. It's a little out of your reach as a, as a family. Um, and then a backup school. For some students, and for this student in particular, she's a great student. And so her backup school is actually her state school, which is also her match. For some students, your backup school may be the community college because maybe you're not sure you'll get in based on academics to your, your state school. But applying to um, at least three schools and then having a goal of getting all that done by the time she goes on winter break and then reconnecting this winter sometime February or March to talk about the financial aid. So really this fall focus on creating the list of colleges and applying to those schools and then in the winter comparing the different costs of each school making her decision sometime before May 1st. That's great. That's awesome. In in this conversation you've packed decades <laughs> worth of experience and conversation in 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 and wisdom and planning, right? Um, if folks didn't hear anything else, <laughs> if, if they listened to all this and nodded along and said, yes, 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 but then they let it, some of it trail, what would be like some really key and practical takeaways, tips, resources that, that listeners could grab a hold of and, and etch into their minds? Okay. Well, number one, that yes, you can do all of this on your own, but you don't have to do it alone. And my name is Carly. You can find me at any Community America branch, the contact center, the website. It is a free service. I love what I do. I do come from higher education, been on college campuses, um, four-year, two-year, private public schools. And so I um, love what I do, and I want to help you and your student. So number one, yes, you can do it on your own, but you don't have to. Um, number two, the FAFSA is free, and it is really crucial that you file it. So um, it's it's something that uh, can open you up to a lot of funds to help make college a reality. So please file the FAFSA. Um, and remember, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me and I'm happy to help. Thanks again for joining the Community Conversation presented by Community America Credit Union. Carly, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience. And as you've mentioned, you can um, find Carly online or at any branch near you. Thanks, Justin. This podcast is brought to you by Community America Credit Union. This recording is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Every listener has a unique financial circumstance, so what was presented today should not be deemed to have universal applicability.
and content provided today should not be construed to be tax or legal advice. Please visit communityofamerica.com to learn more about how we can help you in your college and career journey.